Welcome to Queer Spirituality, the podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Hi, and welcome to the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. And on today's episode, I want to talk about telling our queer stories. So what brought this to mind for me is I've just finished reading this great little uh, book of essays by various queer writers called Why Are Faggots So Afraid of Faggots? And it's edited by Matilda Bernstein Sycamore. So this book... Um, And the subtitle of this book is Flaming Challenges to Masculinity, Objectification, and the Desire to Conform. So this book is really a collection of queer stories. It's about a lot of different perspectives of people who have a different vision of what it means to be queer that isn't affluent, white, gay men who are acting out of internalized homophobia by embracing toxic masculinity. So I hope that some of that triggered you if you're one of those people. So one of the things that sort of stood out to me in this book that I want to kind of mention is there's a there's a quote, and it's in the essay called The Soul of Our Work. And in this essay, they're talking about the efforts to um, fight AIDS and HIV and in particular, the publication of a particular magazine called Corpus that was put together to spread messages of, you know, preventing AIDS, of AIDS activism, these kinds of things. And it involved a lot of queer voices, a lot of storytelling, a lot of art, a lot of the creativity of the queer community. And in this essay, the authors are sort of mourning that the the magazine's no longer being published, and that the apparatus of the AIDS activism, AIDS prevention, HIV prevention, has really been taken over by the medical community and sort of sterilized, and that there aren't a lot of queer voices being represented anymore, that the messages of prevention are turning more towards abstinence and avoiding certain parts of sex that are 
inherently queer and rather than the former sort of approach that queer activists took towards, you know, this is who we are, this is the way we love, and we need to find ways that work for us as a community. So it's kind of become sterilized and a lot of the queer themes have been removed. So the quote I want to share is from this essay. And in particular, they say, our storytelling and efforts must help us better understand one another, not fear or judge one another. So I think there's really two part things that stood out for me there. The first part is obviously this part about storytelling. And then the second part is, is sort of judging and fearing one another. So let's start by just talking about the importance of queer storytelling and telling our stories of what it means to live as a queer person in America or in the world even for that matter, because I think that's very important. And I think that there are some things about that that we need to really, as a community, do better about. So one of the things I'm sort of a little tired of is that largely the story of what it means to live as a queer person in America is being told by affluent white gay men. And we're not really hearing what it means to be trans, what it means to be a person of color who's queer. So there's a lot of different perspectives that aren't being heard. And of course, I can't tell those stories. They're not my stories to tell, but we need to create opportunities for everyone to tell and share their stories. And we need to, when people are telling their stories as affluent white gay men, we need to listen. We need to be willing to listen and to hear. The other aspect of this with storytelling is we've allowed our the story of what it means to be queer to be preempted by political lobbyists. So we now have, you know, instead of ACT UP and all of these organizations that the, the um, Gay Men's Liberation, a lot of these sort of activist organizations that were very grassroots, we have very big dollar organized, polished political arms like the Human Rights Campaign, who have a very singular focus on making queer life as mainstream and homogenized as possible. And not everyone wants to be married. Not everyone wants to be monogamous. And I support that. I'm personally married in a monogamous relationship, but I've been poly before. And, you know, it always seemed absurd to me when we were having debates about queer marriage, about gay marriage in America, that every one of the counter arguments was, well, people want to have group marriages next. Yeah, so what? Um I've known a lot of poly people who are having group relationships very successfully and they're very fulfilling and loving relationships for them. And I see absolutely no great danger in allowing them to be married to two or three people. Um, I, and that includes straight cut people. I've known plenty of straight people who also were polyamorous. So we've allowed our stories to be preempted by these lobbyist organizations who have decided what the gay or queer agenda is, right? They've decided that the be-all, end-all was going to be marriage. And marriage conferred a lot of benefits on us. And I, and I don't think that, that marriage should have been something that wasn't available to queer people. So don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking the right to marry. But what have they done about the right to not be fired from your job for being queer? What have they done about housing? and not being discriminated in housing and all of these other things. Well, here's the thing. 
those organizations are largely, again, white, affluent gay men who are more likely to have the opportunities to own their homes and are less likely to be discriminated in housing through rent and things of this nature. So really, we're seeing the agenda of one subsection of queer life being represented ahead of other groups. And that's really broken. We don't really shine as a queer community unless all of us shine. We need to hear all of the stories. What it means to live as a queer person in America is not the story simply of affluent gay men. So storytelling is going to be really critical and hearing all of the stories of what it means. So I recall a number of years ago when I was running the Kafnia Gay Men's uh, Spirituality Festival, Steve Kenson from the Temple of Witchcraft did a ritual to the queer spirit that involved storytelling. And it involved each person having a tea light and we were sitting around a fire and each person, as we went around the circle, would light their tea light and tell some part of their story. And I believe that Steve had a prompt for, you know, what part of their story or, or what, you know, how to sort of summarize their story, if you will. And each person told something about their story and they lit their tea light and they put it in the center. And I know that Steve had some really wonderful words for sort of summarizing what it all represented and bringing it together. But for me, experiencing it, it was really about the way that the combined light of all of our individual lights pushed back the darkness in that moment. And it was really about how telling our stories really allowed our individual lights to shine. And that when we did that in a group in that way, all those individual lights created one big light and that one big light pushed the darkness away. And so for me, that was a very beautiful and moving moment of really realizing the power of telling our stories as queer people and that telling, in particular, telling our stories individually within a group, individually within a community, so that our stories could come together and create this powerful light. And I think that we need that now more than ever. So the other part of this quote was really about telling our stories without judging and fearing one another. And I think that this is really where, as a community, we've been failing and where I think queer spirituality in particular is calling us to be better and to do better. And as we embrace queer spirituality, as we embrace our spirituality, as we see each other, the divine in one another, we'll create these opportunities to share our stories without judgment and fear, and we'll start to tear down some of the walls that have divided our community. And of course, by dividing our community, it's been easier to, to diminish our power, to diminish our voices, to make it easier to give us some rights and not others, because we haven't really been as cohesive as we were, you know, in the 80s during the height of AIDS when we were all pretty united working towards getting the government to recognize it and fund research and do things to prevent the spread of HIV and AIDS, to prevent so many deaths, to prevent the, to bring an end to, to AIDS. So there's a lot of fear and judgment 
in the queer community. And again, there's, you know, I mentioned internalized homophobia. And so let's just talk about that for a minute. How often do have we seen someone talking about queer community? And one of the things that always comes up is the phrase, no fats, no femmes. So let me sort of pick that apart for you, because there's, a, I think, some things that are really important there. Um, and one is the no femme piece. What is it about femininity that we find so repulsive in the queer community or that elements of the queer community find so repulsive? So first of all, homophobia at its core is first and foremost derived from misogyny. It's the idea that men might act like women and that women are somehow less than men. So because of because women are somehow lesser or inferior, men who act like women are to be derided and treated inferior, and it's based on misogyny. It's based on a, a, on a hatred towards women, which is very harmful. In addition, I think it's really about passing, right? We have this core group of queer community, this segment of queer community, and I'm talking about affluent white gay men because it's primarily what I've, in my experience and from talking to other people, that's primarily where we see the no fats, no femmes kind of business happening. So we have this group of people who have decided that being queer means being able to pass, being able to be mainstream, being able to represent themselves in a certain way. And that includes a type of toxic masculinity in which they've got to butch it up and act a certain way and put a certain mask on and anything effeminate or feminine is repulsive and has to be shunned because if someone sees them with a person who's effeminate or effeminate, they can no longer pass. Someone might assume that they're queer based on the fact that they're hanging out with someone who's effeminate, who's obviously a queer. And I just find that idea offensive. So we've got to we've got to get past that. We've got to get past this internalized homophobia of being afraid to just show up as queer, of really embracing both sides of ourselves because we all have a healthy dose of femininity in us. We all have a health, healthy dose of masculinity. We've got to keep them in balance. And for the people who are a little more effeminate in their mannerisms, embrace that. It's part of who we are as queer people, who all of us are. And even if you don't express or represent yourself that way or identify with that, it doesn't make it any less valid for someone else. So we need to get away from this sort of segmenting off. And then also, you know, really focusing on that aspect of the no fats piece. Over a third of eating disorders are men and and a good amount of and the majority of those are specifically queer men. We have done a terrible disservice to our own community with this emphasis on body appearance and youthfulness and you know the the ideals of of beauty that ironically we also hold women to in our society. And so we've got to start really just embracing each other as we are as people. You know, just because you're, you know, just because you're friends with someone or just because you're in community with someone or just because you have feelings for someone that doesn't mean that they're sexual. You can be loving, supportive of one another without having to hit the hay um, together. So 
this obsession with certain things. And the other aspect I want to say about that, too, that I think is really critical here is I often hear, well, the pseudo apology of, well, I'm just not attracted to that. Well, okay, let me challenge you here because I don't think, I know some people believe it love it, in love at first sight. And for some people, it happens that way. But attraction is a very weird thing. And it's sometimes a very synthetic thing. How often have we heard tales of people who had a best friend and neither one of them were attracted to each other, but over the time, that familiarity, that bond that they had grew into love and it turned into something that was attraction. And so the issue here is what is attraction? What does it really mean to be attracted to someone? What does it really mean to be in love with someone? And if you're automatically single, like filtering out a huge group of the queer community based on some artificial concept or label that you're slapping on people, you may be missing out on really finding someone who could be an incredible, deep love and a satisfying relationship for yourself, which is sad. But even worse, if you're not, if you're ostracizing segments of the queer community based on these things for even friendship or support or community, then even more you're missing out. So I think that we have to let go of these judgments of each other. We have to stop seeing each other through these filters of labels that are artificially created, that are really driven by marketing and advertising and by internalized homophobia and the desire to pass and the desire to fit into this mold of what it means to be a mainstream queer in America. And we've got to create opportunities for us to tell our stories to one another and to deeply listen and hear one another and hear our stories. Because when we do that, we, we remove the barriers and we start to connect on a soul connection level which empowers us as a community. We start to connect and become the community that we used to be and that we've kind of lost by putting up all of these artificial barriers and judgments and fearing one another or fearing that someone's gonna out us because they might appear too feminine. We've gotta give all that crap up. And it's just, you know, sometimes I get a little frustrated with the queer community and I just, guys, it's time to cut the shit. Like, let's get together, let's tell our stories, and let's support each other and stop judging each other. So those are my thoughts. Um, like I said, really a lot of things triggered these ideas in me from reading Why Are Faggots So Afraid of Faggots, edited by Matilda Bernstein Sycamore. I'll include a link to the Amazon book. Suggest you read it. It gives a lot of different perspectives, and it certainly has made me think a lot more deeply about different segments of the queer community and how unaware of some of their stories I was, which makes me sad that those opportunities for them to tell their stories and for me to hear their stories haven't been presented. And so with that, I'll leave you with those thoughts. A um, couple of quick things. I am 
always looking for guests for this podcast. So if you would like to come on and, and tell your story about what it means to be queer in America, and in particular, what queer spirituality means to you, I'd love to hear from you. Also, we have a Facebook group, um, a queer spirituality group. And so please, you know, join the group, tell your story in the group. Let's create those opportunities to hear one another and to de- and to listen to one another. You can find that group either through the Queer Spirituality Facebook group or on the front page of the Queer Spirituality website at queerspirituality.net. Bright blessings. my blog and past episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www.queerspirituality.net. Let me know what you think on Instagram at queer underscore spirituality or continue the discussion with like-minded people in the Queer Spirituality Facebook group. You can find it linked from the Queer Spirituality Facebook page or on the homepage of the Queer Spirituality website. Bright blessings.